Hi, everybody. This is Stephanie Ruper. Thank you for tuning in to the Meaning of Everything podcast, where we discuss literally the meaning of everything. Today is episode number 28X, and in it, I will be discussing the ways in which philosophy has died. Now, that might sound really heavy, and that's because it is, uh, but it's a very interesting perspective, perhaps a little bit of a clickbaity title, but not without some sort of real ground to it. And I am looking forward to discussing it with you because I think it's really important uh, for today's world in the state of intellectual discourse today. Uh, so quickly, before jumping into it, uh, today's giveaway winner, book giveaway winner, actually asked to remain anonymous, so I will not be sharing their name with you. Uh, this person was interested in How Fear Works, which is the book that came out last week, so they have a copy on, on the way to them. Uh, as I mentioned briefly last week, I have expanded and am continually expanding the list of books that I am giving away specifically because I am building this list of books that I recommend people read, so do check out this really cool list of books. It's at stephanieruper.com slash book giveaway. Okay, that's it. Uh, this is the meaning of everything. You can find it pretty much anywhere. You can find me uh, at Stephanie Ripper on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, yeah, not hard to find. Google. That's it. I want to talk about philosophy, the death of philosophy. So what do I mean by how philosophy has died? Well, philosophy as a discipline is in some ways alive and well, in some ways. But there are other ways in which it really isn't, and it's certainly not something that is having any sort of impact, and especially a positive impact on our culture today. It's not really playing a role in many people's lives, hardly at all, this discipline of philosophy. And the results are an intellectual world. Uh, on social media and all whatever, wherever you can find it today, TED Talks. Um, it, it leads to this world being really bereft of high quality uh, philosophy and often high quality ideas, uh, which, is, which is really, really a shame. So I want to take a step back in, in the history of philosophy to talk about uh, a little bit where what philosophy has been and why it is, as I have described, somewhat dead today. So philosophy is, uh, people debate when and how philosophy got started. Um, of course, we look to the ancient Greeks often, and this is really important. We could, in some sense, date the beginning of philosophy to the beginning of writing as a practice and writing down ideas. Uh, and that really started to take off um, with the ancient Greeks. We do have some remnants of things that they wrote and uh, recollections they have of things that other people wrote, right? So philosophy has historically been a search for truth and has often been called uh, self-help, which is very true. It is its own form of self-help, a particularly intellectually rigorous form of trying to make sense of things, right? But philosophy has been a search for answers. And it once comprised pretty much all of our search for answers. Anything that people thought about could be categorized as, as philosophy, whether that was thinking about 
the internal states of human experience or what's out there in the cosmos or the nature of matter or how you classify animals, which is something that Aristotle did at great length. All of this fell under the umbrella of learning. And it was gradually throughout time, uh, especially in the last few hundred years, when the sciences developed and all of the different branches sort of began to develop. And people will often talk about a death of philosophy, and this isn't particularly the way I was thinking of it, but people will say, well, science is just taking progressively things that were once belonging to philosophy into its own realm, right? We develop ways to empirically study things, and then we no longer need, quote unquote, philosophy, this sort of amorphous guesswork that people might think of as these days. We no longer need that guesswork. Uh, we now have sciences, and we can sort of see that that process has happened in uh, in a number of ways. It really has. For example, nowadays, the mind was once very, very mysterious. And while we still have a lot of philosophers working in the philosophy of mind, it is becoming increasingly influenced by neuroscience and all that sort of stuff. And so there is a sense in which, yes, the sciences are taking content matter uh, and that once solely belonged to philosophy and providing empirical data. Now, does that mean philosophy is no longer relevant? It actually doesn't, right? Because the sciences can provide data. The sciences can provide observation. They can give you theories, but they can't necessarily tell you how to use them, right? Or how to make sense of them or put them in a broader context. And so there isn't a sense, a sense in which philosophy can or should always be the thing that is steering knowledge production that is steering the sciences, right? It has this very long history of thinking about human experience and all different types of moral questions and aesthetic questions and metaphysical questions that I do firmly believe should always be steering our quest to find more information of whatever sort, whether it's scientific or not. So philosophy should still be important, uh, but it isn't for uh, for one reason is that people, of course, have, have dismissed it because the sciences have provided a flashier, more data-driven way of engaging the world. Uh, but also, here's another uh, problem, I think, is that philosophy has always been, as I mentioned, a quest for truth. This is one way that we can think about philosophy uh, having existed for hundreds of years. And after the Enlightenment, right, people sort of became really attached to the idea of finding truth. And a big piece of philosophy was always trying to understand how can we say something meaningful about the world and have it be true? How can we say something meaningful about the world and have it be true? Now, we were once able to do this because we believed that God authorized it. But during the Enlightenment, so around the 1600s, the 16th and 17th centuries, 18th centuries, people began to look outside of the traditional religious ideas that they had inherited for answers to the question of truth. How can we ground truth? If we can't say it's God, what can we say it is? Some people thought it was in math, right? Math is where we can say things are true. Perhaps with logic, we can say things are true. Uh, perhaps with certain a priori concepts we have in our brains, a priori means sort of preset, like come preloaded 
Um, or again, they're mathematical. They don't need us to uh, observe them. They just exist as true. And this is very platonic. It definitely goes back to Plato, this idea. And so this is a camp that has been labeled rationalism, broadly speaking. Rationally deduced principles can be true. There was another camp that emerged at this time that is deemed the empiricist uh, position that says things that we observe are from our senses. Maybe we can use our senses, our observation to say things are true. Now, these are obviously complementary perspectives, but very different ones philosophically, right? These derived principles, the mathematical pure forms, again, in this platonic way. And then on the other hand, observation from the senses. People asked, can we ground truth claims in these ways? And philosophers tried. Believe me, they tried. And ultimately, they failed. They ended up realizing, you know, Kant uh, once said, uh, or had this idea, rather, that uh, the phenomena of the world, our experience of it, can never actually yield to us the absolute truth of the noumena, the true reality, precisely because we are so we're just organisms trying to make sense of things. How can we actually know what ultimate reality is? Kant says, well, there is, there is a divide here. And ever since then, really, we, we haven't been able to solve this problem of access to reality and founding truth. People continued to try and looked at many different ways of interpreting texts and the dialectical relationship between reading and you and what the author meant and what you mean. And people looked at this really rigorously, but still were unable to find truth. Finally, at the turn of the 1900s, a group of people called logical positivists thought that they would be able to reduce all statements to scientific statements and finally create a purely logical system of ascertaining and discussing truth and they failed. Uh, they ended up being failing actually when uh, in part because we discovered that you could say things like this statement is false, right? And you also cannot really legitimize an idea without stepping outside of the idea. You can't get, you need to get out of that system to discuss it. But even then you're moving into, into a new reference frame. And so it is sort of cyclical. We cannot escape the fact that there is, it is very, very hard, perhaps impossible to say something that is true. So this happened back you know, 100 or so years ago. And there has been parallel to this sort of a split in philosophy. One camp is called analytic, and they uh, derive somewhat from this tradition of the logical positivists who were trying to say true things with sentences, you know, with uh, empirical claims, with evidence, what have you. Um, and then there's another camp called the Continentalist, which threw its hands up and said, you know what, we can't say true statements per se, but we can gesture towards truth with human experience and with storytelling. And this is how philosophy in academic disciplines has developed over the course of the last hundred plus years. And it remains as such to this day. And this has also been paralleled by changes in academia in which uh, people have to, have to work really, really hard and perform for their fellows and impress their fellows in academia in order to keep their positions. 
And so while it was the case that during the 19th century, when Emerson was writing, philosophers were kind of a big cultural deal and everybody listened to them and you know, kind of like rock stars, academics became, philosophers became entrenched in this quest for truth in ways that spoke only to other academics, only to other philosophers. And they developed really rigorous and particular discourses. And they are worthwhile, but they're very much performative within their own space and they're not at all in the public at all. And so we're trapped, I think. Philosophers stopped having things to say about value, about morals, about beauty, right? They stopped having things to say about the human condition and instead got stuck in these gestures towards truth, the questions of truth, postmodernism, is that valid? All that sort of stuff. This is what they're doing in the academy today. And meanwhile, pop philosophers, people who call themselves philosophers, but also have never appreciated the philosophical discipline, such as Sam Harris, are running amok in our intellectual discourse without much rigorous thinking or training or understanding of the historical embeddedness of these debates in really just proposing fighting about ideas. Because here's the thing, truly intellectual discourse, true philosophy, ask questions first and make statements second. And today in popular culture, people are fighting. They're staking ground and they have certain ideas and they're not relating to them in an intellectual way at all. We live in a debate culture, and it's not even necessarily debate because people don't usually even take the time to listen or to hear or to respond to an argument. They're just constantly shouting, constantly being outraged, constantly lobbing bombs, truth bombs per se at one another. This is the state of our intellectual discourse today. And philosophy is pretty much real. Philosophy is nowhere to be found. And that's heartbreaking and dangerous. We need people who are trained in these disciplines who understand the art of rigorous thinking and historical embeddedness and how these questions of ethics and metaphysics and uh, aesthetics have been framed throughout history. We need people like this perhaps like myself, to be in our intellectual discourses if we want them to actually seek truth, seek something that's useful, seek something that can help us, that can gesture towards the meaning of life, right? That can be relevant to our lives, that can talk about suffering and loss and justice and meaning and death and purpose and all of these different things. We need really good thinking on these topics and we just we literally don't have it and it is that sense in which philosophy is dead but i want to bring it back to life or at least i'm trying so those are some thoughts on the state of philosophy today and especially on our current popular discourse about these kinds of philosophical ideas and as for what can be done about it well i will save that uh, for another podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been episode number 28X. I am so happy to have you and to be discussing these ideas with you. Do, as ever, please drop me a line if you have any ideas. I would be more than happy to hear from you.
Thank you so much. I am Stephanie Rupert. This is the Meaning of Everything podcast.